0: So, Jason, I'm not sure if you're aware of this or not, but uh, I found out yesterday that Valentina Rossi's retired from
1: racing. Did you know that? Really? I didn't know that. I'm also, I, I thought that the round from Indonesia last weekend was amazing from World Superbike. <laughs> didn't you? Yeah, that's, all, that's my bad. Yeah. That's our bad. Yeah. How did we both, yeah. <laughs> how did we both <laughs> miss that? We were so excited about racing,
0: period. We just had to move it up a week. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Grace Rush Bible Coach. Jason Primor, presented by Bike911.com. If you need some legal advice, you got a contract coming down the pipe. It's contract time, Jason. You know, people have been, uh, you know, announcements for teams and things like that. Go check out bike911.com. Talk to our boy, Alex Asante. And I I don't know why this would be, Jay, but if for some reason you're out there listening to a podcast on your phone, but you don't really know how to work the internet, you can always dial 1-877-911 or bike911, 877-Bike911. On your phone, give him a buzz. Legal advice.
1: Go check him out. He's good.
0: He Every now and then, college. Alex posts stuff on
1: his Instagram, and I can't believe how how big his boys have got. They're like full blown mountain biking with him and racing with him, and yeah, his he's it's it's pretty wild. Don't you wonder sometimes what it would be like to have
0: kids, Jason? Mm, mm, not really. No, no, nah. <laughs> me <laughs> either. no.
1: I I but I've been getting I've been getting a pretty solid dose of it lately because I've been hanging out with Nate's kids. I yep. went to that. I went to that mini major motocross race a couple of weeks ago, like I told you about, and then, and then his eldest son Jack, we they uh, got a KTM 65, brand new, from uh from my friends down at Poway Motorsports down in uh, Poway, and um, we got a KTM 65 for him, and he rode it for the first time two nights ago, three nights ago, so I got to mm-hmm. go up and watch him ride it. But no, it's been Rare. what track. Nate at his house. Nate's oh, got at his like, house. Oh, that's cool. He's just got a little track, and they're going to be, he's actually going to be building a proper motocross track at his house just up there off of Lysso Canyon. I know you've, I know you've pedaled that road a bunch of times. And, a bunch of um, times, yeah. Yeah. So he, he's up that road. And, um, but, but I tell you, I, you know, one of the, probably the few times I, I wish I had kids, maybe more so a son or anything, but even a daughter. I mean, but, but being at the moto tracks, pretty fun when you see your kids ripping around and, and uh, and that kind of thing. So it's been it was fun for me to see Jack and Cole and all the other kids brought back a lot of really good memories. You
0: know, since you and I really don't have anybody, you know, kids wise and stuff to take care of us when we get older, maybe maybe we should start looking at nursing homes now, maybe meet somewhere in the middle, like yeah. Kansas City or, sure. you know somewhere. Cal- yeah. California'd be nice, but I just think it'd be a little expensive, you know? And, and I know that with all the nagging injuries you have, I mean,
1: North Carolina is going to be too humid. You poor thing. Yeah. Well, I mean, we're hosed either way. We got nobody. We're going to just end up <laughs> wiping each other's mouths and stuff like that. You know, that's uh-huh. just going to have to end up being, you're going to be spitting out your applesauce. I'll be having to clean up after you. I understand. Well, I am what, how many In May, applesauce, June, July, August, guess that. September, that's, October, Apples I'm six months fruity. and three
0: days older than you, so you respect your elders, pal. I do. I need to take care of you, G Dub. How was your weekend? <laughs> weekend was good because I got to see GP stuff. I, I actually went out on the Himalayan too. I got a little ride in um, on a nice 65-degree day. So got that done and then got to watch all the GP stuff. It was That's an great. entertaining weekend, I think, because of Rossi's retirement. You know, it there was just so much great stuff that was done, and it just shows you that the people running the moto gp series ultimately are human beings and they know everybody knows i mean dude there's did you see the photo of all the vr46 academy riders that are in moto gp series currently they all
1: took out that had their helmets and had photos Yeah of them they took yeah. a helmet from they his could. era or whatever and there's so and, many things know. we could talk about on the on just on rossi like i am totally with you i was intrigued by all of it i i thought the unveiling of his nine bikes was pretty special and you see the amount of people and the amount of respect that he had there and um yeah but hold on let me let me let me go back sorry yeah sorry
0: no no no, because the one thing that really struck me about the nine bike unveiling i don't know if did you watch like the whole thing or just skip through no the one thing that really struck me and it was so subtle is every motorcycle he got on, he went into a full tuck and he went. He made rrr. sounds. I know. I And so I was crazy like, you
1: notice the same shit I do. Oh my yeah. God.
0: I was like, of course. I mean, the guy is still a racer. He's always going to be. And just, I mean, cause I do the same thing. It's just, you just imagine yourself just for a split second, you know what I mean? In a full tuck. And I know that he's probably thinking about a particular race or a straightaway or something just or a for thought. a moment,
1: That's a, a memory, you know? Oh, it was so, good. And, so good. And what's, what's, And I loved the, you know, when we watched that unveiling and you see him going from the 125 Aprilia all the way through, um, I just thought it was done very classy. It was done only in a certain way. It almost looked like they were in like a little glass house. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Yeah. People couldn't really be on top of them while they were enjoying it. So he could enjoy that moment. I also found it funny, you know, afterwards when he says, you know, all the M1s he's got in his house anyways. So obviously they (laughs) brought those bikes down. And he kind of still gave the old dig to Honda about yeah they they promised me that bike but it never kind of showed up that NSR five hundred and mm-hmm. it looks like they gave uh, I think that I think it is I think they gave it to him now um, oh so so those were nine bikes that they gave to him no the nine bikes the nine bikes that were there he yeah. has he has all the Yamaha the M ones they' they' he has them all okay he has those, those are yeah. his collection now I don't okay. know about the one twenty five and the two fifty I don't I, I'm I don't know about those. But when it came to the Hondas, it was very well documented back in the day when he left Honda, they never got him that NSR 500. That was the one that he wanted more than anything because it was the last two stroke, last 500 Grand Prix world champion. And he never got that bike. And he even said so um, during that whole thing that it was like, he's like, I wake up every day and I see the M1s, you know? And he said that he kind of made the, did you see the press conference he did? Mm, Which one? He did so many. He did a press conference, like a special press conference. After he did the unveiling, he went inside and they did a full press conference with him. And they had fans basically do. uh, Oh, yeah. I didn't see that one. Yeah. 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 Like virtual fans do and all that. Yeah. Basically, yeah. Virtual fans were just right uh, talking to him and thanking him for what he's done for them. It was really, really well done. But even when he's up on stage, he's kind of like, you know, the Honda is like you know was supposed to was supposed to come my way afterwards, but it never quite made it to my house. You know, it never quite <laughs> made it to mm. um, to to Vula, I think it is. Uh, anyways, it was really interesting. It, the whole t- thing, Tallulah, to Tallulah, yeah, yeah, starts with a T. Where he's from, I think but- we know that stuff. Anyways, yeah, but I mean, when you just look at the whole weekend with the murals that were uh, put up on the the building. Right as you come out of the last corner, there the mural that they did of his. Are space. they going to leave that there forever? You think? They, well, they, I, would, I don't think. I would how hope do you so. how do you cover that up? And yeah. and they did a time lapse. Did you see on MotoGP's yeah, Instagram? That was I think so there was sick. a time lapse of the guy that mm-hmm. actually. And I think as the as the weekend went, you could really you could really see. I mean, look, the guy went straight to qualifying two. Which how many times has he done that this year? You know, not do you many. Know what I mean, not many. Two or three only. And if then, I can and, remember. And then the couple of things that came out of the race I thought were amazing was the fact that he qualifies, he qualified uh, through Q2. And then he ends up finishing 10th in the race. But for the longest time in that race, you could see him in the background for a long, long, long time. Mm-hmm. I, you know, It was arguably maybe his best ride of the year or one of them. It and, was his best ride of the year, hands down. And, and, you know, towards the end when I'm watching it and I'm, I'm watching Morbidelli follow him. And I'm like, this is probably the coolest thing for Morbidelli to be following Valley <laughs> on his last laps. There's no way he's gonna pass him, you know? Oh, and yeah. and Morbidelli has come out since and said that it was incredible following him. He rode absolutely amazing. He goes out in his last Grand Prix with what finishing tenth, I believe it is, G Dub. Tenth. And yes. and um and for the longest time at the beginning of the race, it kind of almost looked like Bender was holding him up. I think he had I think almost think he had a little bit of pace at the beginning of the race. They couldn't quite go because he was kind of hung up, and um, and it's a track. It's even a track that if you listen to him this week, this week, it's not his favorite place. Like He's not a big fan <laughs> of Valencia at all, and, and I thought it was incredible to see him go out the way he did with such an incredible ride, and yeah, the weekend was all about him. Well, we're talking about him, so let's just keep it going before we get into a ride news. Let's, here's
0: just some stats, okay? Nine world titles, 115 wins, 235 podiums, 65 pole positions, 96 fastest laps, 432 GP starts. He's had 23 consecutive races on the podium in the premier class, 23 different circuits where he's won a MotoGP race, and his total points accumulation, 6,357. That's over, what, 26 years of racing. And, Jay, all those stats are very impressive and all that stuff, and there's no question about it. What's also impressive, obviously, he's done on a 125, a 250, a 500, an 800, a 900, a 1,000. Real, Right? Like, this is why I say he's the best. But the real story of Valentino Rossi has to be his impact on the sport. The fact that people for so long – Tune in to see what Valentino Rossi was going to do, both on and off the track. A lot of people wanted to see what he did celebration-wise. Valentino Rossi's personality transformed MotoGP, in my opinion, over in Europe, 100%. It's still here, but from a niche sport to a mainstream sport. And I think that that really is the telling sign. When I think about Valentino Rossi's impact on the sport, I think about Jeremy McGrath's impact on Supercross, Correct. and right, the knacks and all that kind of stuff. I think about uh, James Stewart and the way that he transformed riding, but not necessarily on the personality front of it. I think of obviously about the impact that Tiger Woods had
1: on golf, the impact Huge. that Michael Jordan had on basketball. <laughs> Same lineup, you know. Yeah. And I think that when you look back, people. The argument you, you always hear these arguments of who who is the best at whatever sport we're talking about. So you always hear you know the Jack Nicklaus thing and uh, with Tiger and and you hear the Michael Jordan thing with a number of different players. You can't really measure it, but when you look at the actual impact, that is the difference. Statistically, I think Marquez right now has statistically he's got a lot of things covered as far as how many races he's done compared to how many championships he's got, podiums yep. he's got. Statistically, now. When you talk talk about moving the needle, there's nobody in the history of our sport that has moved the needle like Valentino Rossi, yeah. and for all the reasons that you just said, um, and 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 the commentators actually made a very very good point um, at one point. Somebody it, it, it might not even been during the race, but you know when I used to when I was lucky enough to hang out with Michael Jordan the way I was, <clears throat> this discussion used to happen a lot uh, amongst some of his friends and my friends even when Michael wasn't necessarily sitting with us, but it was like, who's bigger than Michael Jordan. And you'd, you'd start talking about, well, maybe Muhammad Ali as athletes as people that moved needles, you know, Ali back in the day. Um, but then you start talking about like presidents. I mean, that's kind of where it goes to there. You're like starting to think about like, well, athletic wise, there are countries that we've never seen. There's countries that we've never heard of probably. And somebody somewhere, even if it's a poor country, has a set of Michael Jordan shoes, has a set of Jordans somewhere, even if they're 30 years old Jordans they're, they're, and they don't have any soles left in them. People know who Michael Jordan is. I feel like Rossi is kind of that guy because there were my friends here in America that even 20 years ago didn't really know much about our sport, didn't know much about road racing. Um, but they would say, hey, who's the Italian guy? That that one know, guy you. that like, and it was, yeah, that's Rossi, you know? Um, and you could see over the amount of respect he has from different actors, athletes. I mean, Ronaldo was there. Um, that was a nice rip at the end where they did the little, the little social media cool. thing where they had, yeah. All those people yeah. that were just, and I thought him st- stopping in turn two on the, on the cool down lap and all the writers just joining in and being around him. Um, mm. I, I thought it was, I thought it was particularly interesting to see even Alex Marquez stop in that because you know, there's this zero love loss between Mark and Valley, you know, none. I mean, Rossi has made it a point to say that 2015, that championship could have been, should have been his. And we know what happened that year, but I thought it was, and in the press conference that I was telling you about just now in the the pre-race press conference, they asked all the six riders that were up on the stage. Valley wasn't part of that. They asked each one of them to say what Valley has meant to MotoGP. And Alex Marquez was a little bit coy with how he spoke, but I thought it, I thought it showed a bigger sign when he stopped in turn two as well to be there for that celebration so um, and I think I think had Mark been there he would have done the same thing because he knows I couldn't agree with you more he, yes. he knows enough and he's enough of a sportsman to have done that yep I couldn't agree with you more and I think that when you uh, when you just look at the impact that he's had um, and you know Greg honestly I personally feel if you read everything he says and you see how he speaks and did you watch the gala? I watched the gala. I watched it all. I watched the gala. I didn't watch night. the gala,
0: but I saw highlights of the gala when he, yep. when, when he got um, inducted as a legend legend, as a yeah.
1: legend. Uh, when you watched all, he, he, in his mind, um, and, and please understand, I know I'm going to get ripped for this. I'm not comparing myself, but I kind of, I kind of got the feeling like when I did my last race at mid Ohio, I had a really good ride there. and, I really didn't want to quit, but there were just certain aspects of the sport that I wasn't enjoying anymore, but I wanted to keep riding. I I get the same feeling from him. Like he he's over. It just keeps on saying about how much he wishes it wasn't over and how this and that. And it's like, yeah, you know, he's going to be racing cars next year. And it'll be interesting to see if he ends up kind of feeling any kind of the same passion for that that he does on a bike. There's just a difference. And you know, again, he's 42 years old, Greg? Yeah, 40, 42. Is he? 42? Yeah, 42. 42, I believe. And and the thing is, is it, you can ride these bikes forever. Like, it's – I don't know – the, the The Yamaha won the championship this year with Quattararo, and he is obviously a little something special because nobody else on the Yamaha can really get close. And, you know, it, it's – uh you could just kind of tell. You could just kind of tell by his mannerisms and everything else. He just doesn't want this to end. Like he still loves it so much. He doesn't want it to end. The problem is with all those sports
0: is it's not just about the racing aspect of it, right? Like right. if you could say to Casey Stoner, a healthy Casey Stoner, not someone who's suffering with what he has now, yeah. Casey, you can still ride a MotoGP bike, and all you have to do is qualify. That's all you have to do. Yeah. because Casey made it you know abundantly clear last week when they were interviewing him somebody asked him in his press conference they were like Casey you know do you miss racing and he said you know you know what i miss i miss qualifying i yeah. miss the ability to have the bike at 100% because people don't realize they turn the motorcycles power down for the race to save fuel because of the you know the tank restrictions so during qualifying you have 100% power you have your goal is a perfect lap And Casey had made mention of, look, you can't do that in a race. You have to manage tires. You have to manage fuel. You have to manage risk. So you can't. So he goes, the thing that I enjoyed most and the thing I miss most is that. But he doesn't miss testing. He doesn't miss the grind of, you know, working out, the travel, all that kind of stuff. And I think that, you know, Rossi, he made mention of it in one article that I read or one interview. I mean, there were so many and and I don't want to, you know, not give people credit, but I've completely forgotten. But the bottom line is, is that he... When he announced in August that he was retiring, he admitted that once you say it, that you're retired, you know, and that he was going through the motions. And the biggest thing for him was, and you touched on this earlier, he said he went to his crew after the last race where he finished, what, he was like dead last on the grid and all this kind Mm -hmm. of stuff. And he said, I cannot let this happen my last race. And he said, post-race that he had focus in that race, in Valencia race, like he was racing for a world championship. Yeah. And it felt so good. Yeah. And I think that that's the bit when you're on the bike and you have the focus and you have that. And you don't have to be an elite athlete to capture that. There are moments in any athlete's life, and hopefully, you know, where they find that moment of their ability and they're in that zone. And I think that that's really difficult to replace. I agree. I stunk on a motorcycle, Jay, but it doesn't mean I'm not competitive. And it no. doesn't mean that I had those moments on a bike, a couple of those moments, you know, I can, I, I know two yes. races where I can think of right now. And it's like that. And, and, and I found myself in a job that's subjective, right. And mm-hmm. racing used to be, <laughs> you know, used yes. to be pretty, yeah. you know, cut and dry. Now, you know, obviously we know with green paint, that's changed a little bit, but the point is, is that's why I, I ended up going to archery. Because it's like, you know, it's a 10 ring or a nine ring or an eight ring and the score is the score and all that kind of stuff. And I enjoy competition. It's something you're never going to get rid of. The question is, archery is nowhere near the thrill of racing a motorcycle. Well, it's a different
1: type of exhilaration. It's just a different feel. Same for me with golf. But, you know, it, it was I'm watching that race. And I think for me, the biggest thing was I just didn't want. I just didn't want something bad to happen in his last race. I wanted him to go out the way he wanted to go out, and I was I was cracking up because I'm thinking to myself, <laughs> you know, you got this last race of the year. The championship's been decided. Everybody's it's kind of a free for all, you know. I always get even watching the Moto 3 race. I'm like, that championship was decided, and I'm watching that race because you had text me earlier in the day. Have you watched Moto 3 yet? And I said I had not, so I'm watching that race. And I'm just I'm sitting there on the edge of my seat because I I know it's a free for all, and you got all these guys just going for it. And I'm thinking, <laughs> oh my God, and I'm thinking to myself when they came after their their warm up lap and they're gridding up how many of those guys on the on the grid for the MotoGP race were like okay i need to stay away from valley i cannot get near this guy i can't touch him i can't take <laughs> him out can you imagine being the guy that takes out valley uh, no. in his final MotoGP race No. And I'm sitting there and and i'm i'm looking at this thing and i'm like oh my gosh like this is this is yeah i was i was i was nervous for him and then when i saw him get off to a good start and do his thing but It's, I got to meet him one time. I got to, actually, I've met him twice. I met him once at Suzuka. Um, and I met him at, um, at Laguna Seca once, both thanks to Colin Edwards. Um, and he's just like, he's a super chill guy. And one of the things I found out about find, find interesting about him is when he, this it's the exact same way that Jordan was when you meet Michael Jordan, he, he, when you meet him. And I know you experienced this with him as well. He looks you right in the eyes and talks to you like he doesn't he doesn't half heartedly kind of get to know what he doesn't just kind of half heartedly listen to what you're saying. He's very interested like it's very much like oh yes, oh you know and who you know where do you come from what do you do um and the thing I remember the most about meeting uh about meeting rossi was we were standing on top of turn one at Laguna Seca and MJ had come up to, um, to Colin and Colin didn't have Jordans on.
0: And MJ <laughs> said, Hey,
1: let me, can I see, like, let me see, what are you wearing? And Colin goes, ah, oh, you know, whatever they were. He goes, let me see that thing. And so Colin takes his shoe off and hands it to MJ and MJ, MJ throws it onto the racetrack in turn one. At Laguna Seca. <laughs> like just through the thing, you know, it was it was six o'clock in the evening. or five o'clock in the evening. And then he had a pair of Jordans for Colin to put on. And I remember, I remember Valley being there and like, like laughing and just freaking out about that whole thing, you know? Um, That's funny. Yeah. But, but um, he just seemed like a, just seemed like a good guy, but his, his impact and his footprint on the sport will never be touched. I don't think because, because of all the things that you said, all the intangibles, the personality, the connection with fans, um, you know, it's it, yeah. The one thing that Michael
0: and, and and Rossi have is that that thing you're talking about is when they engage with you. Yeah, they make you feel like you're the most important person in their life in that moment. Correct.
1: And so you always and have I, a story they, to go back and tell yeah, people about stuff like that. You know.
0: So so one of my volunteers. You know, obviously I I interviewed him quite a lot during my my career and stuff, and and hung out with not really hung out with him, but you know around him at the parties and saw him, you know, Red Bull party, smoking cigars. And I was like, wow, look at that. You know, world champs smoking cigars. So back in the day when I was doing this show on speed channel called two wheel Tuesday, you know, in the early two thousands, Rossi just did not do a lot of TV interviews. He didn't like doing video stuff at all. And, um, they were coming back to the States to race and Yamaha in the U S had an hour with Valentino that they could basically say, okay, we can, you know, we have an hour of his time. And so I kind of
1: remember you doing this.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they they said 15 minutes. You, Greg, you guys get 15 minutes video interview with Valentino. And he came to the interview with a handler. So it was just he and I. Yep. And you know, my producer at the time, Dan Parisi, we had a conversation and I just said, Look, man, I'm not interested in asking Valentino what he thinks of the United States. I'm not interested in asking him what he thinks of Laguna Seca. I want to talk to him because nobody asks him certain questions. And he was like, you know, do whatever you want. So we sit down, Jason, and, you know, it was great. I mean, he all the things you said, he looked me in the eye. We started having a conversation. And I started asking him weird questions. Like,
1: like at off the, time, the wall, or, like stuff that he's not normally going to get probably.
0: Yeah, like I was curious to find out, you know, at the time, right, the the, the whole internet thing and things were kind of new, message boards. Maybe MySpace was around, but definitely not Facebook and so I, I asked him about his relationship with the computer. Do you get on a computer? Do you read stuff about you? Do you see that kind of stuff? I asked him about other things. Like I think I even asked him one of those, remember the formula, the extreme profiles I used to do? Yes. I think I might have asked him something stupid like later on about, you know, boxers or briefs or whatever. But it was totally different. And he had he was enjoying himself. We get to the 15 minute mark and his handler kind of makes the move to stop it because it's 15 minutes. Yeah. And he just and he waved it off. He waved it off. And we just kept going. And I yeah, think we, great. We, we were there for, you know, 20 something minutes. And then I got two hugs from him afterwards. And he was just thanking me for like a different interview that it yeah. wasn't the same something interview. You know? fun,
1: something a little bit, a little yeah. bit more personality driven type of thing. Something so. that was
0: more Valentino Rossi, you know. But the postscript of that, Jay, is what I really find funny is when we were doing that, when we finally posted that and we broke it up into a couple different segments on the show, is one of the segments, I said, all right, when we return, we're gonna to talk to Valley. At the time he had Valley, V A L E on his leathers. Yep. yep. And I said it. And the next, you know, I said, we're gonna to talk to Valley Rossi, blah, blah, blah. And the hate, like you have no idea the viciousness of people on the speed channel message boards came out calling for me to be fired immediately because I defiled Valentino Rossi's name. Yeah, of course. And now everybody's Valley, Valley, Valley. And I just and I just laugh about it because I'm like, dude, it was on his leathers. So, but as, I mean, you know me, Jason, I was like, what? So all these people are coming out. The president of the network is like, dude, we're getting stacks of emails from people wanting you to be fired because you called them valet. So I called Colin. I don't know if you remember this. I called you and I said, man, should I call Colin? You're like, yeah, I call Colin. So I called Colin Edwards and I was like, dude, you're really tight with him. And he goes, he doesn't care. He don't give He's a shit. got such a great sense of humor. He wouldn't care, you know, blah, 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 blah. And so then I, yeah. I went to the president of the network at the time and I said, dude, I talked to one of his good friends and he says Valley does not care. He was like, all right, we'll let this one blow over. But it was so funny because I think that's part of the impact though, is people put him on such a high pedestal. Like he's like, he's something like Michael, Michael's just a dude. I mean, he's a dude with a great set of skills and a shit ton of money. But bottom line is, Michael has the same concerns that we do, right? About just being yeah. happy, about you know having people around him that are happy to be
1: normal He wants to live a normal life, and it's difficult. Yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, yeah. But the thing is, is that you're exactly right, and and when those two met, I remember when they when Valentino met Ross uh, MJ at Valencia. I was there for all that, and uh, that was pretty cool. The thing is, is that it's, it's, um, when you see two icons like that kind of get together, it's always, you're, you always kind of feel like you're in a special spot when you think about what they've both done. And, you know, in, in my particular case, I was extremely lucky and it, a lot of things came, um, a lot of emotions went through me because I looked at Valentino Rossi as a guy who elevated our sport. And at the time I was getting involved with Michael Jordan, who I could have never believed I was standing next to, you know? So mm-hmm. for me, it was a, it was a little bit of a different feeling because I'm, I'm in Spain. And I just got done flying with MJ <laughs> over to Spain. Um, I played golf with Seve Ballesteros the day before, and now I'm looking at Valentino and Michael Jordan standing in front of me, and I'm like, I, you know, it was one of those pinch yourself and kind of like, well, how did I get here? Like, what, what steps got me to this state? And um, mm. but it was pretty. It was a. It was an incredible thing. So. Um, you know, hats off to him. Like we literally could talk about Valley for for hours and hours. If we did that, we'd probably have to have Doug Lincoln on here. But God knows, <laughs> yeah, God well, knows we don't want to do that. No, we don't want to do that. Jesus. We literally
0: are burning up the internet. So anyway, that's the Rossi talk, and we wish Valentino just much success. And hundred percent, he's got a kid on the way. Life's gonna change for him. He's gonna be racing for fun, not for money. Obviously, with the race team, we expect to see him in the MotoGP paddock, I'm sure, hanging around with his new race team, but we're going to talk about that in a minute because now it's time for news presented by Arai. And you know what, Jason? Arai has the Pro Shade system. It's Arai's answers to the internal sunshade. By having an external drop-down sunshade as opposed to the one that's positioned internally between the shell and the EPS liner, impact absorption performance is not diminished, Maximum EPS thickness is retained across the front and the sides of the helmet where an internal drop-down lens and its pivot mechanism would have to be located. This allows for optimum rider protection, and it's also another reason why you should go visit AraiAmericas.com and check out all the helmets, the paint jobs, the different types of helmets they have. They have moto helmets, venture tour helmets, all that kind of stuff. So go check out AraiAmericas.com. Christmas, right around the corner. Go pick one and then go to your local dealer and pick one up. I think you can also get one on
1: redzilla.com. Hashtag go sponsor. Christmas. Right, yeah. Is, Christmas is literally
0: Christmas is right around oh, the corner. Wow. I like, what are we,
1: five weeks away? Five and a half weeks, six weeks, whatever. It's no,
0: something I'm like sure. that, yeah. And it's I hear insane. there's not a lot of stuff to buy, too. There's shortages everywhere. But anyway. All right, Jay. Um, not a ton of news to talk about in this one. Just yep. a couple items, uh, unless you have something else. But one juicy one. On December 3rd through the 5th, Ducati GP racing ace Jack Miller will race a Ducati, the V4R, in the Australian Superbike Championship on the Sport Ducati. He's got to be teamed up with 17-year-old Ollie Bayless, who finds himself, of course, in World Supersport next year. Um, it'll be Jack's debut in Australian Superbike. Great news for fans, though, Jay, because MotoGP hasn't been to Australia in two years. Jack's obviously a huge pull with all that pandemic stuff. What are your thoughts on Jack Miller going to race Australian Superbike? I'm sure that, that our boy... Uh, um, oh, my God, I just lost his name. Maladin's old crew chief. Who oh, runs at Peter Doyle. Doyle. I'm sure Doyle
1: there. will be happy. Yeah, he's happy about that. Oh, what yeah, do you think? He'll be there. Um, I think it's so cool. I think that um, this is kind of what Jack Miller's about, right? Enjoying his life, having fun, just put in a great season ending ride there at uh, Valencia. Um, so, I mean, he gets to go back home. I know how hard it's been to get in and out of Australia. So, it'll probably be nice just the fact that he gets to go home. And what an experience for Ollie Bayless as well. I mean, not only does he have a dad who's multiple world superbike champion, but now he gets to. Ride with a guy who's currently in MotoGP um, and kind of uh, representing Australia, uh, on, you know, on, on the global aspect of it, riding for, you know, Ducati right now, which just is on fire. So, uh, Ollie Bayless is going to get to go ride World Supersport. There'll be a lot of questions and a lot of things asked. Plus, you know, all those guys over there, Glenn Allerton, who I've been lucky enough to to ride with, all the boys that are getting to race against um, Jack Miller over there, it would probably be something that none of them thought that they would be able to do. Wayne Maxwell, who I know has been on the V4R over there and won the championship last year, I believe. Um, You know, he'll be out there as well. So I just think it's going to be a, it'll be something cool for us to cover as well, just to see how Jack does. And it's, it's going to be, and and the track that they're at, Greg, the bend is actually uh, a new, a new track over there. So. Um, you know, I don't even know. I'm sure Jack's ridden it, but who knows if he has or not.
0: No, he hasn't. He has. He has he no. Has, experience. He hasn't, so there's, there's there. a couple things to note on this one. Number yeah. one, he will be on Michelin's, but obviously not on MotoGP rubber. Number two is is that Australian superbike rules are <laughs> they're close to stock. I mean, I even think they're a little bit closer to stock than our stock thousand bikes are. Okay. The difference is they allow them aftermarket electronics now because of the rules set forth by the FIM as it relates to. MotoGP riders testing, the electronics that are on the Australian superbike bikes are illegal for Jack Miller to ride on. So they actually have to change that. So the cool thing is, is that Desmo Motorsports, Jack Miller bought this bike from them at full pop. Okay. He's kind of famous for doing that. He goes down to his local KTM dealer. He buys bikes off the showroom floor at KTM because obviously Ducati doesn't have a dirt bike. Right. Right. And he rides them. So he spent his own money. Ducati had no involvement in this. He bought their backup bike, Desmo Sport Ducati V4R backup bike, and they have to pull the electronics off, and they've got to put, I think, stock electronics back on, or maybe like a kit version. But it can't be the Magneti Morelli because it's against the rules. So it's going to be very interesting with no track time, you know, on a, on yeah. a virtual street bike, in essence, you know, with with brace bodywork on it, and you know, the very few things that you can do, no setup or anything else. It'll be interesting to see that because I think that Jack, he doesn't care.
1: But from the outside, you're kind of like, hey, he's kind of putting his reputation at risk here, right? There's because no question. And no matter and, what, and I mean, love that part, though. Yeah, yeah. Even if you're wanting to go do it for fun, all of a sudden, if you're a second off the pace of like some, some of your national guys, you'll be like, whoa, 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 hold on. Yeah. A like, what, <laughs> wait a minute. Like, this isn't supposed to happen. So, you know, but again, everything I hear from him about him, he's just an amazing guy, very fun. Um, doing it for the experience. He'll enjoy himself. I think it's it's great, Greg, that he's getting the chance to do that. So yep. um over the we'll weekend. We'll keep up with it. Yeah, we're definitely gonna keep up with that. But hold on, I yeah. have one more news item that's not in the rundown
0: that I want to talk oh, about yeah. real quick that kind of popped yep. up. Um so <laughs> before we get off of Ryan News, uh, the the Moto GP 2022 roster, okay. So so the entry, the entry list yeah. has been announced, Jay. So I just want to rip through that real quick because uh, you know, I want to ask you. So um this is in order of the number. Okay, so obviously we know Andrea Davizioso is going to be on the newly formed, but not really newly formed, with you Yamaha RNF MotoGP team. Johann Zarco remains at Pramac. Luca Marini is on the VR Forty Six Racing team. Okay, so that's the new, you know, the new team, and I believe that the title sponsor is going to change. Vinales on the Aprilia, Quattrararo and Morbidelli, of course, on the Monster Energy Yamaha's, and Bastianini staying with Grassini on the Ducati. Raul Fernandez will be KTM Tech 3 rider. Nakagami remains at LCR. Binder remains at Red Bull KTM. Juan Mir. Um, Darren Binder moves, obviously, to the Yamaha with the With You Yamaha team. Alicia Spargro stays with Aprilia. Rins stays with Suzuki. Miller on the Ducati pole. Spargro remains on Repsol Honda. Fabio DG Antonio will be a rookie on the Grassini ducati team. Peko Bagnaia remains where he is on the Ducati Lenovo team. Marco Bezzecchi moves to the VR46 team. Alex Marquez stays on the LCR Honda. Remy Gardner goes to the Tech 3 KTM factory racing. Miguel Oliveira stays on Red Bull. Uh, Jorge Martin remains with Pramac and Marc Marquez. Jason, on that list of riders, who... Is there anybody... <laughs> At some point in the season, you think is not able to win a Moto GP race. I mean, we just it's the that list is so deep. I mean, other than rookies unproven, there are just everybody's
1: fast. Yeah. Everybody. Dude, I'll be honest with you. I'm right, I'm really excited to see this Raul Fernandez kid on a MotoGP. GP. Oh, me too. I and that's taken nothing away from Remy Gardner because when you think about where Remy has come from, <clears throat> um it's 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 pretty incredible. I thought I thought you know going back a little bit to something that we brought up earlier. I don't know if and, and you haven't watched it, but the the gala that they did on Sunday night um it was really funny. I I actually felt a little I felt bad for Remy because when they got to the Moto2 stuff, they 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 gave out like the rookie of the year, Raul Fernandez. Then they gave mm-hmm. out fastest qualifier of the year, Raul Fernandez. <laughs> and then when they finally bring the top three riders out, they bring Bedzecchi out, they bring out Fernandez, and then they roll a video of, of Remy winning the championship, right? So they roll this mm-hmm. video out. And the last part of the video, and th- this is bizarre to me, and I would, I wish I would have I I wish, I I wish sent you to this so you could look at it because I already know what you would say. The last part of Remy's world champion video that they show is Fernandez wadding himself at Mizano. Like, what does that have to do with Remy Gardner? Ooh. And I'm like that is just done in such poor taste and whoever said oh yeah that video is great and doesn't sit there and think about wait a minute why and and literally they go from him from Fernandez crashing right mm. to Remy Gardner winning you know winning the championship on that day and I'm like why would that even be a part of the video showing Fernandez wadding himself like they didn't show Remy crashing at Coda. <laughs> you know what I mean? And yeah. handing a bunch of points over to Fernandez. I thought it was very, very poor taste. Ooh. Um, and you know, you look at this Fernandez kid, he won eight races this year. He was quick. He was super fast, uh, in qualifying. He is legit, but I think him and Remy next year are going to be fun to watch. But I think when you start looking at that, there's a couple of other guys, Bastionini, um, who came on strong this year will be interesting. I'm mm-hmm. also interested to know that when VR46 team, if Rossi ever gets a chance to swing a leg over that bike and see what the latest Ducati technology is like compared to what he rode, just to see if I mean, why it's his team, right? Why wouldn't he be able to uh, mm-hmm. swing a leg over it somewhere? Um, it'll just be interesting to see some of that stuff. But you know, for me, um, there'll be there, there's going to be some interesting stories. On Moto. MotoGP just continues to intrigue. It just continues, and I think that we'll have a build up to that. Obviously. Through what they test this week. I think they test the end of this Thursday, week. Thursday, Friday. Yep, we test the end of this week. Getting to the Grand Prix, Greg. Itself, I feel like we've been in this podcast already for uh, well, oh gosh, already been 40 minutes. But when you start pretty looking close. at the race itself, it was pretty incredible. Bagnaya has just you know shown true form, uh, as the end of the year goes together. Bagnaya, Jorge Martin, amazing run. For that rookie, he ends up finishing second and gets rookie of the year this year in the MotoGP category. Jack Miller, as we mentioned earlier, ends up third. All those guys covered within a second of each other. Juan Mir ends up fourth in what I would deem is kind of a frustrating race. At the beginning of this race, Greg, he got a good start. We saw Mir and Rins both qualify closer to the front uh, at this race, which was nice to see for the Suzuki Riders. Hoping that they can get something going for next year to continue that path of getting them a little closer to the front. Quattararo ends up fifth um, and didn't seem too unhappy with that. Five and a half seconds back. But again, we have this problem where the Yamahas struggle to pass once they get shuffled back a little bit. Zarco six, Binder seventh, Bastianini eighth. Alicia Spargro barely, barely beats out Rossi. I mean, he was only a second away from getting passed by Rossi, who ends up an incredible tenth in his last run with Morbidelli kind of following him home. Dovey was not that far behind those guys either. He ends up 12th with Alex Marquez Oliveira, who sh- shockingly off form Oliveira towards the end of the year. And Iker Lekawona in his last ride for the Tech 3 KTM factory team before he shoots off to World Superbike and and the Factory Honda team. Those are your top 15, Greg. And I think that, you know, you saw Renz crash. Uh, we saw Nakagami crash as well. Renz is just... It's a strange thing for me with him. He's obviously got the talent, he's incredible, but he just slides off. I mean, I two years ago I would have never really been saying that Renz is a huge crasher, but he just crashes in all these races, it seems like he just if you watch that race, he gets into that corner way too deep. He's wide on his entry and loses the front and tips off. Um it's 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 very interesting to see that, that Rins just can't kind of get that result. But the Suzukis, I think, feel I feel like the Suzukis don't really get talked about enough because they obviously handle well. They're obviously a very good bike, but they kind of struggle the same thing with the as the Yamaha does. It's very difficult for them to pass the Ducati's. And to think that there's going to be what, four more Ducati's on the grid next year? Mm, as opposed two to more. this year? Two Is more, I think. Two? Be,
0: that'll be eight, right? We have three, four. <clears throat>
1: five, six. Yeah, there'll be two more. Eight eight, oh, eight. total, though.
0: Yeah, it's going to be,
1: be pretty wild next year to see you know how it all turns out. If Ducati, honestly, Greg, if Ducati doesn't win the championship next year, I mean, heads are going to roll. Like, there's just, they've got so much talent on all their bikes right now across the board, and you just go like, they, they got to win next year. So it's very very interesting to me. Obviously Ducati
0: ended up sweeping the podium and it's their first time in the history of Ducati in MotoGP that they had done that, which was a bit of a shock for me. I really thought that Ducati would have done it at some point but what I thought was the telling tale mm-hmm. is post-race in one of the many post-race conferences that Pecco was doing because Pecco and Jack Miller won the team competition as well. So well let me back up to Pecco. First of all, the one thing I, Peko is such a class act he's, he is he's such a class act he's doing his interview post race and they're asking him like, i think it was not park ferme but the next interview that he did and he was just like look this is great i won the race it's, it was a great race all i want to do is get through these interviews to go party with valentino rossi because mm-hmm. i know their garage is tearing down the house mm-hmm. and he goes i just want to be with my friend and i thought that that was you know it's just his concern, Pecco's concern, was not really about his glory. It was about going, spending time with the guy who's been a mentor to him, who's helped Correct. him through you know, all that stuff. And I and I just love that. But the one thing that Pecco did say post-race that I thought was so interesting was he made it a point to say that this motorcycle is the same motorcycle we've had. Because if you remember, because of COVID, there's been a freeze in development. Correct. It's been the same bike. The reason it's faster all has to do with aerodynamics, the one thing that they were able to R&D. And peco basically said we are a bunch of young riders and we approach this bike in a different way and all of what you're seeing has to do with just settings on the motorcycle in other words they're so happy Vizioso has gone because he locked ducati into a, a path of development that was creating this motorcycle to be a good motorcycle at some tracks and a bad motorcycle at other tracks yeah, yeah. and valencia has not traditionally been a good track for ducati and all of, out of nowhere, and it's not really out of nowhere, right? It's a lot of hard work. It's a lot of development. Yep. But bing, bang, bing, they go one, two, three. And, and I think that four in the that top, is – And they had four in the top six, ring. So, yeah. Four in the top – right, exactly. Yeah. And so you're sitting there going like, if I'm the other manufacturers right now, I'm going, uh-oh, we're oh yeah, in real trouble. Because trouble. what we what we do know coming for the test is Suzuki's going to try a new motor because that's their biggest thing, right? Their biggest thing at the moment is we need acceleration – as well as a little bit of top end, even if we can get in the draft of a Ducati and they could keep the bike as well as it is now in terms of handling, you have a motorcycle that could fight. Obviously it'd be better, you know, if, if you had the same horsepower, but we always know there's a trade off. Correct. Yamaha. The one thing that struck me about the whole Yamaha situation when they unveiled Rossi's bikes. Yeah. Was, did you notice that those M ones, the last four, I think that they had lined up or three, Man, they don't look any different from each other. <laughs> I was going to
1: say the same thing earlier when we were talking about it. I was like, they really don't. And and you 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 it, it just makes what Quattraro did this year so much more incredible. Uh, the thing about it to me is when you look at what Quattraro did last year, how he started quickly and this and that, and then um, and then next thing you know. Changed some of his mindset. They got the bike better. They create a world champion in Quattroaro. And the other f- incredible fact about the, what you're saying, even with the Yamaha, I'm sitting there watching Vinyala's rolling around almost dead last. I'm thinking, so how's that change going? You know, I yeah. remember I, this is the best bike I've ever ridden or best day of my life or whatever when he rode that Aprilia the first time. And I'm like, yeah, I wonder what those thoughts are like now. Because <laughs> the, the thing is, is um, when you look at what the Yamaha is, I can only remember one race, Greg really um, where they were able to go forward now at the beginning of the year at doha both the yamaha riders were able to go forward as that race moved on if you remember it's difficult because the front straightaway there at doha is so long but once they were able to get through they were able to go pretty much everywhere you go though that yamaha if it starts further back it's really hard for anybody to go forward, and the only guy that's been able to do that is Quartararo. He is literally the only guy. Vinales did it in the second race at Doha, but still didn't. He, he wasn't able to um, to do what Quartararo has been able to do on that bike. Um, so Misano this year, the lat what three races ago, Quartararo came to the front. If you remember, he had a tough qualifying, but it goes back to what I said earlier, like. When you look at the lap times that Rossi ran in that, in this race this last weekend, he was in the 31s. He was going as quick as the leaders, but he couldn't get by the guys in front of him. If mm-hmm. Rossi finished starts up in the first two rows, he probably is part of that lead group for a longer period of time. He just wasn't able to do that because of the bike he's on. And I think Suzuki struggles from that same thing. You have to remember when you have a bike that's under, under powered, a bike that maybe you can get on the gas a little bit earlier. It, it, it causes you to almost wear the tires out even quicker. And we saw Mir probably just past half race start to lose lose contact. And the more you keep trying to rush it into the corners to make up the time that you're losing down the straights, the more risk you run of doing what Alex Renz continues to do, which is lose the front. So Ducati right now is literally on the best bike. They've probably got more pressure on themselves than they've ever had before. If Ducati... Like right now, Greg, I can sit here confidently say Ducati will win the world championship next year. I don't even think if I was to ask you, since you were the king of fantasy this year, anyways, if I said, Greg, <laughs> if you had to put the money on who's going to win manufacturer-wise, who's going to win the world championship next year? Not necessarily a rider. You'd got to think a Ducati rider is going to win. I don't think. <clears throat> apparently
0: I apparently just hit puberty. I don't think there's any <laughs> manufacturer out there currently that can make such a gigantic step to reel in Ducati at the moment. Yeah. And I I, I look,
1: Marquez is amazing. He's just, he's, and if he comes back healthy and strong and he gets this off season and he comes back, the gap has been closed. Marquez is insanely, insanely, insanely good. But I think, I think the pace is so strong right now at certain places where I think that you'll see Marquez make small mistakes that he can't afford to make. Now, when you go back and you look at the season, um, the Ducati riders, obviously, Miller slides off probably more than they wish that he would. We saw Bagnaya only do it a couple times. Martine doesn't do it often, but when he did, he got hurt. That's why he missed a bunch of races at the beginning of the year, if you remember. Mm-hmm. So the thing is, is that those guys are going to – they know what they have underneath them now. They know how to make race packages work. And I just feel like going into next year, I don't know what Ducati is going to do to move the needle even more forward. But, but – oh. You know what I mean? Even more than post, they already have. Post-race, someone was like, well, Jack, you know, you guys, blah, blah, blah. And Jack goes, it looks like
0: right at the guy. And he goes, yeah, wait till you see the 2022. Yeah. And it was like, <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. Which, you know, you got eight of these bikes. You We've already got four finishing in the top six at a non-Ducati racetrack. What's going to happen next year when these I guys show up at Doha? You're going to have eight, eight Ducatis, you know, in, in the mix because – Bastianini's only going to get better. is on a Ducati, right? Bezek, yeah. who, is it, who is it this year? It's Marina, Marini, and uh, Bedzecki over on the VR 46. And then you got DiGiantonio and and who's, you're up, who's up for it? next year? Yeah, or yeah, next year. Ne-
0: oh, you have uh, on the entry list side. So this is what you're gonna have on a Ducati Johan Zarco. Yep. Luca Marini. Yeah, Marina Bastianini. Yep. Uh, let's see Miller. So, so is it, Bas- Digi- is it Bastianini
1: yep. and, and Digi Antonio on the same team and Marini and Badecki on the same team, correct? Betze- yeah, exactly. Bedzeki yeah. and Marini will be on the 46 team. Yep. And, and now we're, you know, so those guys, and you see how quick rookies can come up to speed. Jorge Martin, this year put mm-hmm. it on pole at Doha, I believe in the first or the second race. I can't, I think it was the second round and led all those laps. So, you know, I just think that the next year, man, Ducati hasn't won a world championship since 07. If they don't do it in '22, heads are going to roll. So, yeah, with eight bikes, arguably the best bike on the paddock, obviously the most rideable
0: bike. Because look at what they've been able to do. Where yeah. Honda only has Marquez, Yamaha right now only has Quattrararo. I, 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 I will say this though: I think a healthy Morbidelli is right there. You know, with. With Crotteraro, I think, in terms of being able to get those race results, I think it's an unfair shake to say that the Yamaha is only ridable by one oh.
1: particular rider at this point. But I'm just saying, for this year, that's, that all, that's pretty much what we saw this year, though. Yeah, yeah, there's no doubt. There was, yep. there was and, one guy. Vinales, couldn't, Vin, Vin, hey, Vinales is finishing at Valencia. I mean, he's is, he is a non-factor. He's just not even a story mm-hmm. anymore. Vinales is, they don't even talk about him. He was 20 seconds back at the end of that race. 20 seconds. I mean, obviously, Greg. Doesn't seem like a long way back, but it's when you think about how competitive that class is now, it's it's insane. But he he was 19 seconds back. He was back there racing the for the for the last uh, last point paying position. Um, pretty incredible. I think the consistency right now. There's got to be some question marks. People scratching their head in Austria too with this KTM because it's like the one guy who consistently kind of brings it every weekend, who gets more out of his package from qualifying in the race is Binder oliveira is a mystery right like we don't mm-hmm. understand how Olivera has won these races and the next thing you know he's battling for way way further back so it's it's interesting to see manufacturer wise what is going to happen next year um but but everybody right now has got to be got to be scared of the big red machine you know
0: they have to be so. and by the way for those people that are following Sean and Kelly's career in the on the entry list he will be number four that's the number he's gonna carry it's pretty what? good number to roll into moto two with
1: it's a great segue for the moto two championship that was decided this last weekend also g and i'll tell you my my palms were getting sweaty for remy gardner who ends up 10th in this race but it's enough to claim the championship his teammate raul fernandez goes on and wins the race just by half a second over fabio de Gian antonio both those two riders will be in moto gp as you and i said going into 2022 Augusto fernandez who you got to think right now. Greg is one of the guys, odds-on favorite, and winning the championship next year because he's stepping up to the Red Bull KTM team. I believe is Augusto. Yeah, yes, he is. Uh, yep. Vieta and Canet end, end up running out the top five spots. Chavi Vierge in his last ride in Moto Two before going and joining uh, Leccabona in that factory Honda team in World Superbike ends up six. Sam Lowes, man, did you see Sam's ankle from the weekend? It was I didn't know oh, I didn't get to he had an see off it on but... Friday. And Valencia is a tough spot for Sam. He ends up. Doing such a good job bringing it home in seventh, Navarro ends up eighth. Schrader, Gardner, Nagashima, Luthi, Manzi, Ramirez, and uh, Afiz Sarin, who also is going to World Superbike. I don't know if you saw that announcement. I, I heard we, about it. I, yeah. yeah, I don't. I don't know he's, where in he's, World gonna he's going to be. Teammates on the MEI Honda, I believe it is with. Oh, uh, cool. With Mercado. So, nice. um, Cam, I know had some problems. I think he. I think he said he had a few issues. Cam Peterson, uh, that we're talking about Cam here. Cam Bobier, you're talking oh, about. Sir, Cam Bovier, sorry, I said Camp Peterson. Camp Peterson's yeah. riding motor two now, apparently. Yeah. Um yeah. no, Cam Bobier. Uh he ends up he ends up twenty first. It was really weird because he went straight to qualifying two as well, Greg. Yes, he did. You he know. Fourteenth, I think he was
0: yeah, I don't know. It was it looked like it was gonna be a good weekend for Cam Bovier in some areas. I mean, for sure he's 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 had better performance like he's He's not twenty fourth. He wasn't twenty fifth in qualifying. Right, he was right, actually right, right. right to Q two. So that looks kind of promising, but I think we're uh we're in that same situation with Cameron Bobier where and I'm gonna talk to him tomorrow, by the way. So we'll have him on the on the podcast next week yeah. talking about stuff. Yeah. Uh, I'm supposed to, you know, talk to him today or tomorrow, but tomorrow's the day. I think, so anyway, I think next we'll get, year we'll going into the
1: season after he gets his there's a three-day test. Um, I know Sam's only going to do the first day because there's some new Dunlops that they're going to test, but he's, he's got to take it easy on himself because his leg's so buggered up. Mm-hmm. I think for Cam, it'll be good to go into a preseason test knowing that there won't be any real surprises next year um, without seeing the 2022 calendar. I can't remember what tracks that maybe they'll go to next year that he hasn't been to. I don't know if he's been to Phillip Island. Did he go there? Red Bull Rookies wouldn't have gone there. So I don't know if Cam's actually been to Phillip Island, Greg. But that would probably be a track that it, he'll have to learn next year. I just don't know. Yeah, learn. I don't, th- I don't think he some would have been a questions that We could now. probably ask him, but he'll be feeling like he's much more at home now, probably going into this preseason test of like, this is where I am at. I've got my first year under my belt. I know what to expect. Um, I think that it'll be a good season, a, a, a good test for him, hopefully, this week. I think looking back at the season, um, you know, when you see what Red Bull KTM and the Aki Iho team has done. They just create winners, don't they, Greg? And and yes. Remy Gardner, I think, is more than deserving of this championship. It doesn't seem like long ago that a lot of the talks, including in our podcast, probably more miso than anything, talking about how hard Remy has to ride and how many times he crashes. Um, a lot of that is due to you know being young, exuberant, wanting to win. Uh, this kid's broke his legs on motocross bikes and come back. You know, you hear him in his interview afterwards, and that's really where it comes back to you when you sit there and you do those interviews and you think about. Some of the dark days that you've had as a rider and being as injured as he's been, pushing as hard as he can on B rated teams to come and win the championship, like that, it, it almost is overwhelming. You don't it, it's too hard to take in at the moment, but you could see that in Remy's face in Park Fermi after the race. Very deserving world champion.
0: Well, we were a little shocked when when we heard that he was going to the Red Bull correct, you know, IHO team, right? Like we were like, why Remy? Really? He hasn't really and man. I mean, I mean, he just, it was the right call. I mean, he saw something in Remy and, and and gets a world championship out of it. And I love it. And the bottom line is this is the system set up. You got to be consistent. And Fernandez just put it on the deck just one too many times. And Garner, even though he didn't have the, you know, the Raul Fernandez win record of the right. season, you know, he still wins by 26 points, I think is, or no, by no, he uh, won like
1: five or something. By, yeah, it was close. No, no, but
0: I'm saying like he won, he won the championship. It
1: wasn't like, you know, it was close. Six points, I think, yeah, five points, points, something yeah. like that. And, and, you know, the, the worst part is in that race, and I'm watching him, and it's like, it's so hard to manage. Do you remember last week I said on the podcast that there will probably be places other than Valencia that would be easier to wrap up the championship? And the reason for that is is because it's kind of a little bullring of a track. And if you watch during the race, he kind of ends up finding him that spot where it's like, okay, I can be safe now. But Nagashima kept on throwing it up the inside of him. Now, I, I I had <laughs> forgot that Nagashima and Gardner had been teammates in the last year or two. And mm-hmm. as it turned out, Nagashima ends up not really messing with him. It was probably the perfect guy to have around him, but he also had Tom Luthie who I thought was very lucky as well because Luthie ends up, ends up finishing 12th in his final moto Two race um, of his career and I thought it's kind of a good spot for Remy to be in. He was two seconds behind Schroeder, who was up the road. And then he had Nagashima and Luthi, two guys that were, Nagashima is probably not going to mess with him too much. And Luthi was probably wanting to get through his last Grand Prix. Uh, so he wasn't going to get into a big fight with Remy as well. So I kind of thought that sort of three quarters in the race, he kind of find that little that little open spot to be in and control his race. Uh, and even the anxiety of knowing that Fernandez is leading and you can't make any mistakes. You can't, you can't run wide anywhere. Cause there's just so many guys there that will go right back by you, you know? Yeah. Um, it, and it would have been really, really easy for that to happen, but Remy controlled it, did a tremendous job. Uh, do you, do with, you
0: think that, that Nagashima's <clears throat> like, what it looked like to me knowing that Garner and Nagashima actually are friends off the racetrack. Didn't it almost seem to you like Nagashima was passing him in a way to say, dude, let's go? Like you gotta yes. go. There's a, I couldn't there's agree a with ton you more. of people behind yes. you. Like, you know, because everybody knows that Garner's got another gear. Yeah. And I think that Nagashima passing him in the way he
1: did almost It almost kind woke of broke him. Up, him didn't up didn't didn't the, it? Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. That's
0: that's what it kind of felt
1: like. No, and I agree with you because I'm watching the race and I'm like he's just, he's riding around too cautious, too careful. He needs to get locked in, get his eyes up, look forward, do all those things that we talk about and stop just like being so careful. Like let it go a little bit so that you can create space. And as soon as Nagashima did that to him, do you notice how he, he then ran his fastest lap of the race, like Mm -hmm. the next lap. And it was like, okay, that you're hundred percent right. It was almost like Nagashima, like just kind of gave him a kick in the ass and said, Hey, we got to get rolling here because there was a group behind him. Like for the longest time, there was like six guys right behind Remy. I'm Yeah, like, It was like
0: Luthi, Manzie, Ramirez was there, Bobier was there for a bit, you know, half-eat yep. sirene. There was a bunch and of people there. And you just get
1: one of those guys that kind of gets themselves in a gray area and runs you a little bit wide, you're gonna have six guys go by you. And mm-hmm. so it then then the sweaty palms would really start and uh-huh. you know it just wouldn't have been good. So when you look at it overall, Greg, I think that I think that uh it was a great year of Moto 2. Looking forward to next year really pumped that SDK will be over there uh, getting his first real test. I know he rode at Portimao last week um, after they did, after they raced there, there was a, there was a three day track day there and I know he got to ride some there. So he's already been on the bike. Uh, he's going to get to go to, to Jerez now and be part of his first real official test. <laughs> it's going to be good to watch. So uh, moving on to, moto three unless you had something else to add no no moto three is perfectly fine so i get a text from greg midway through sunday saying have you watched moto three yet which always then gets my like my oh here we go what's gonna happen in this race but overall greg i thought it was again it was a fantastic race yes race direction gets involved again and Mm. the inconsistencies of what they show over there i just think that something's got to be done for it only because only because everybody's talking about it now like it's not gotten to the stage where it'd be really fun to be over in that paddock and get unfiltered versions from teams of what they really think about race control and what they're doing i think their orna puts a bit of a muzzle on these guys but Chavi um chavvy artigas artigas wins the last race with a very famous number um <laughs> yep. I was very, thinking very about that when he came number. across the line. I yeah. go, oh, crap! I got to hear about this. Yeah, thing. very famous number. Thank you, Chavi, for doing that. uh Garcia, who idiot. I idiot, yeah, <laughs> Garcia, who I <laughs> thought thought yeah. rode amazing all year long. Too bad he got hurt at Coda, Greg. It would have been interesting yeah. to see what he could have done. He ends up second over Masia Salich Anchu, who ends up fifth. Nepa Guevara Tativ uh, Carlos T- uh, Tativ ends up. Uh eighth, Antonelli. Tate, S- Tate. Tate, yes, yeah, sorry. Um, Antonelli, Sasaki, McFee, uh, Fanati, and Faggio end up um top, top 15. Um, Fernandez and Alcoba round that out. Now, when we watch it and we see the race at the front, I Greg, I was waiting. You know, when you send me a text like that, it's almost like you kind of like, you know, something's gonna happen. So, so when I was watching that race and I was looking at these guys just riding as hard as they could. It was kind of a dream scenario the last couple laps because you had Faggio and Acosta battling for the win. If you and I watched it again last night, okay, because I wanted to make sure I had my my what's what am I looking for to say here? Wanted to make sure I had my facts, my ducks in a row, my facts kind of straight. Yeah. If you look at how far past, if you look at how far past Faggio was of Acosta, okay, when Acosta crashes. It's like Acosta for the longest time, I don't know why he turned into him. Like, I know everybody's going to say, oh, Fagia's in there too deep. Yeah, so what? That's racing. That happens. He's taking a shot. Like, Acosta stood some people up in that corner earlier in the race, and they didn't turn into him, and they didn't crash. And I'm not understanding, Greg, I don't get it. Like, everybody's going to go, well, Fagia went in there reckless. It's the last lap of the race of the last race of the year going into the tightest corner on the track where everybody dive bombs everybody. I get it. But as a guy that's getting overtaken, when you know there's a guy up underneath you and there's guy, he's going to run straight. Greg, if you're up underneath me, I've already equated the fact that you can make mistakes too and get up underneath me. What if you catch a false neutral, whatever the case is, unfortunately I've put myself at your peril. I've got to be like, all right, this guy's in here too deep or this guy's a dickhead. Whatever I want to say, but I've got to kind of wait for your move to be finished before I turn into you and crash. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I, I and then the fact is, it's it's either that
0: Jay or you know he's trying to look through. He's trying to. I'm and I, I'm just playing devil's advocate here because he's trying to. He's looking left through the corner. Maybe he thinks he's running out of racetrack and is like, I got to try something. You know. I mean, it's it's hard to say in the moment, but I I understand what you're saying.
1: I, I just what I get. I I don't understand is. What is the deal with these guys? If you go back and there's a, there's a very distinct helicopter view of this accident. And I mean, he is all the way past. There's a ton of runoff. There's a ton of painted runoff that yep. both riders could th- theoretically still make that corner. Okay. And still get through it. Now they're probably not going to win because they're going to have a pack of guys behind them that are going to go through. But at the end of the day, a cost of crashing sucks. Faggio going up underneath him doesn't suck. We want to see that good, close, hard racing. If these guys are going to continue to get penalized for stuff like this, that you cannot, you cannot penalize guys for this stuff. I don't understand what is going on and where we've all become so soft in this crap because it drives me nuts. Um, And Faggio ends up getting what a three place penalty or some sort of, when just the weekend before, they disqualify another rider for doing the same thing on the last lap. I, I know. I don't get it. It's like, where, where is it now? If there was an explanation to this, now this obviously goes back to Bender obviously having more altercations in this and probably being drug into the principal's office more than once. So they're gonna they're going to they're going to slap him on the hand even harder when he does things. But we never really get a true explanation of okay, what are you basing this off of? The mm-hmm. inconsistencies of race control is diabolical to me. They're race to control decisions that they make. I'm not letting these guys race. It wasn't like he center punched. It wasn't like, it wasn't like a cost that was leaned into the corner and he center punched him and took him out. This is a race incident where guys are getting into corners too deep. And that's, that's racing. You yeah. know how many times that happens in that race? Probably in the course of a race. Oh How many, my God. How many guys got stood up and turned to in the course of that <laughs> race throughout the field? yeah i mean i I, it's just i don't i just don't don't understand it it just stinks
0: it you know and now it's to the point where you're you're just rolling your eyes it's to the point where you know we had a lot of riders that were going over green paint you know and we knew uh, who was it that ended up getting um, a long lap penalty in there who worked his way oh it was um um uh, um uh uh, dennis Anju. it was Dennis Anju, right so Anju is you know and he's I would argue and say Dennis Anju was a little bit more out of control than any other rider in that field, and he didn't get a penalty. Greg, you know you know what I mean I for aggressive things. riding?
1: It's, it's so last last week. Just so everybody knows, there was something that came across my Twitter, and and I snapped a photo of this, and literally was hitting the send button to Greg <laughs> when I get a phone call from Greg, literally at the same time. So we do see things a lot alike. Onju to me when he gets his is green paint warning on the third lap of the race or fourth lap of the race i'm like he's getting along that penalty without question it wasn't even a case of when uh uh how soon it's going to happen cuz it or, or if or when it's going to happen it's going to happen because these he doesn't seem to have the mindset of i can't get near this green paint anymore I've got the one no, does not. It's like he it's just him. clueless. Like, dude, you gotta do at this cage, you gotta do what absolutely everything, everything you can to stay off of that paint now, especially as close as it gets scrutinized. There's no way that Anshu is not gonna get along that penalty. And of course, it ends up coming, what, eight laps later because he can't keep himself off. He cannot resist it. Um, but the green paint is a whole other set of circumstances that has nothing to do with this particular case. Right. Um, and, and Acosta, you know, what I thought was funny was if you watch the broadcast, Acosta goes down to park Fermi to congratulate Masia. (laughs) And throughout the course of the year, we've been led to believe by the commentators that these two hate each other and this and that. But, but I thought it was cool that Acosta went down there and congratulated Masia, hugged him even like, like congratulations. And then they show Fagia walking down towards race, uh, towards park Fermi to go congratulate Artigas. Right. Yeah and nobody caught the fact that those two guys were within 12 feet of each other right after the race that like, how did nobody like, it would have been great that that little bit of extra drama would have been like, well, this is going to be interesting. They're going to be standing next to each other in park Fermi congratulating their teammates. Right. It, it didn't look like Pedro Costa really cared. That shit. Much. It really didn't look. Like he, he, did, he didn't care. And, and which kind of makes you think to yourself, like, and nobody really ever said anything about it. Um, like as far as the writers go, like well, unless they were muzzled again, but anyways, there's a lot of storylines going into the next year. There's going to mm-hmm. be a lot of guys that I think. I think Garcia is going to be very, very, very tough to beat. Um, I think Anchu's is going to be tough to beat. I think when you look at Moto 3, there's always guys that you and I don't know that are coming into that class, um, only because we don't follow some of the CEV stuff over there, both in Spain and in Italy. So Who's going to be the surprise, guys? I thought Moto Three was fun again this year, and Acosta is going to be amazing to watch in Moto Two.
0: Yep, it's going to
1: be great.
0: Can't wait for the test for Moto GP, and then Moto Two and Moto. I think it's Moto Two and Moto Three. Yeah, right. Are they all there Greg, for this one? I are they? think yeah. so. I obviously I know Moto Two. So, um, all right,
1: we got to wrap up uh, Fantasy Moto GP. Before fantasy. we do that, Greg, really, there's one guy that we didn't mention that we really should. But man, isn't it amazing to see what people think of 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 Petrucci over there. like Oh, that is the true. The dude is so loved. And it's like, this was his last Grand Prix. What a shame for him having it be the same weekend as Rossi. As Rossi. But I mean- Well, that too. I mean, Tom Luthi's the out. I mean, there's people, a yes.
0: there's a bunch of people that are not going to be in, in the series next year. <laughs> and to do it the same time as Rossi, it's- But uh, credit to MotoGP and the people who run the broadcast. They tried as much as they could to give Petrucci some e- equal billing. The ability. love.
1: And he deserves yeah. every bit of it. The guy, you know, you see him in tears at the start there. Yeah. You know, he's kind of got it. He's kind of a, got a reputation as being a very emotional guy, which I thought is great. Um, it looked like he had a lot of fun in his last moto GP. And I think that when you look at uh, the possibilities of what he's going to be doing, I'm excited for him at the Dakar rally. He's a guy I've never met. He's a guy I'd love to hang out with. It looks like um, just seems a good dude. So I know we forgot to mention him. So, Let's get on to fantasy. And before that even starts G-Dub. Yes. You, you're just a man. I hate to even give you credit for anything when it comes blame to you. whooping everybody's ass. But I didn't look at the final results. But did you end up second overall in in ours? That's correct. So, That's but be-
0: Yeah. But before we get to my results. Yeah. With the Greg's Garage pod with Jason Pridmore, which we'll do again <coughs> next year. Yep. The tip of the cap to Daytona 85 who Huge wins tip. the league. And wins in a Rye helmet. So reach out to me. We'll get you hooked up with the Rye. Get you a helmet um, of your choosing. Congratulations, Daytona 85. Based on that last performance, I told you, Jay, I was like uh, the only one left in the top 10 that had a turbo. I made a bit of a move. I got rid of Cuadarraro because I just think these last couple rounds, Cuadarraro and Yamaha have missed a step since the World Championship and i moved jack miller on my team because i just kind of had that feeling <laughs> that jack was actually gonna you know gonna do something finish a race after last week's performance do yeah, all that kind of stuff yeah, yeah. so i actually was the top 4 in the gp race i all had in my fantasy league i didn't get maximum points because uh, miller finished 3rd and i had pecco and miller in my gold and then i had juan mir and martin but i scored a ton of points. I mean, I had 166 and a half points. Yeah.
1: man, uh, that's, which, that's insane. I mean, yeah, yeah it was like top.
0: Good. I think I was top 10 in the world this week for, no for, way. for that. That's stuff. great. Cause that's I, I turboed Pecco. Um, but yeah, so what ended up happening Jason is, um, I moved up to second in our league, which was great because wow. I didn't really want to win it. But then when I found I was second, I was pretty pissed. I was like, Oh, I can't believe I made these two changes. Why wouldn't you want to win it? Well, because I wanted someone else to win the helmet, I don't want someone to get second and win it. Yeah, you would but, have
1: donated that to whoever finished second. Anyways. Oh no, one hundred
0: percent, I would have. Yeah, but oh. you know, with a note saying "great job on first loser." <laughs> yeah, but, the um, poor. yeah,
1: <laughs> he totally ended Yeah, I know. He, he, I mean, I know he said us up a few times on Twitter, which is great. I mean, mm-hmm. and he still ended up beating you by what thirty five points. Yes, and he Pretty finished. Good. And this is the greatest thing: he finished second in the United States.
0: You wow. know, like so, there is a guy for horsemen. Or a guy could be a girl. I apologize, but four horsemen ends up winning in the United States, wins the world, and wow. wins the MotoGP league. So we have United States ends up winning the overall, and there were um, sixty thousand seven hundred twenty-five participants worldwide. Wow, three thousand eight hundred twenty-seven in the United States kind of shows you how the U.S. you know kind of views MotoGP. But in that, in the U.S., I end up finishing seventh in Greg's Garage Pod. With Jason Pridmore, I ended up finishing second. And then in Let's Go, which was a money one, I ended up first. And at the last minute, I was second going into it. But I ended up beating Beach Moto in the Chuck Walla uh, Fantasy League. So I ended up winning the Chuck Walla Fantasy League as
1: well. That's crazy. So, yeah, dude, that was a. That was 42nd, Jay. 42nd ch- in the world. It's pretty good. And Chuck ended up finishing 10th in our thing, right? He did. Yeah. What about yeah, Uncle yeah, Stitt? I didn't even
0: check Uncle Skip. I mean, should I even? How, do you
1: know where you uh where uh, you yeah. ended up? I dude, I am so far back. I'm like, I took I took like the G W route to this thing. I ended up moving up a lot too in the last race. I think I was 117th. Mm. That's not good, Craig. In case you didn't no, know, but I no. had my strongest team of the year at the last one because I had Miller as well. I got rid of Quattro, same as you, and put Jack Miller on my team. So and. <laughs> I'm glad you didn't tell me because I would have I would have Yeah, you probably yeah, would have not done that. You I see now i called out on Twitter. Guys are like Pridmore must have put Rins on the team because <laughs> Rins and I'm like, no, oh, <laughs> I greatest. can't be I can't be blamed <laughs> for this one. Uh but I had Miller and Bagnaya and I had Martin and Mir. So I actually had my like arguably best weekend of the year. Um yeah. I was a little late to the party. Where did Kev end up? Uh let's see. Um in our league or overall? Because Kevlar Skip ended up twenty third. That's
0: pretty correct. Good. Yep. And then um I tip of the cap to my boy Dan Yaza. If you remember, Dan was the guy who brought archery tag to yep. Pit Race. He's a, he's works in the archery world, but he's a motorcycle racing fan. He ends up fourteenth overall in the year. Kevin ended was, up
1: eleventh, just outside of the top ten. Oh yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of you guys that are going to be able to razz me pretty hard. I'm going to have to come back strong in Supercross, which starts in what? Like three and a half weeks, far four and a half weeks, mm-hmm. five weeks, whatever it is. So, I mean, Supercross is right around the corner. Um, I got to owe a lot of money. I probably owe a lot of money, don't I? Yeah, you owe me money because I, I know that- 50 from, I owe you 50 from, I think, is it, isn't it it Anthony's? Um, yeah, Anthony's deal. Yeah, yep. Anthony's deal. I owe 50 for that and then- God knows how much I owe you and Skip and Chuck. And
0: yeah, I haven't looked at the, I don't think we got the spreadsheet on that secondary league. So it's been, uh, but it's been a fun year. I'm hitting Chuck up for a raise, anyways. Good luck.
1: Yeah, I'm hitting him up (laughs) because I got to be able to pay for all this fantasy stuff.
0: Well that is true and maybe he'll be sympathetic to that. He might it's be. really he hard might to say, be. Yeah. you
1: know. So anyway, um we'll have
0: I'm sure we'll have an Arai helmet on the line for the Supercross fantasy league that we're going to do. Well over 250 participated this year, so if you're listening out there and you participated, thank you so much. If you're thinking about it next year, am it's not like fantasy football. I mean, literally you could just pick a team in Moto the MotoGP one. You could pick a team for the year, pick four riders for the year, and just let it sit there and just have fun with us knowing that you have a, you're in the mix. Or you can just pay a little bit of attention. It's difficult in the sense that you have five basically things, four riders and a team, and you can only change one of those per week. So you got to be strategic about it. You know, like for instance, two weeks ago, I got stuck with Marquez in the sense that he was out for yeah. that race. So I had a change. I didn't, I didn't want to move Marquez out. I wanted to move another rider out, but I had to because he wasn't racing. So it's a but, lot of yeah. fun.
1: It is a lot it of is fun.
0: It's fun. And it's good chit chat with your friends and make sure you get involved. And, you know, next year we get more time. We'll get more sponsors involved. Maybe we'll give out podium prizes, um, you know, that are beyond just the, uh, Beyond just the helmet, but, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see how that all goes. So thank you everyone for participating in the Greg's garage pod with Jason Pridmore
1: league in MotoGP. We'll be back next year for sure. Yep. Absolutely. And, uh, thanks for everybody hitting us up on Twitter and stuff. It's fun kind of interacting with a few of you, Greg, as we wrongly stated (laughs) last week, how can we both get this wrong? But Indonesia's this week I've been, it's been fun watching the riders getting over to Indonesia. It looks like an incredible place. Uh, they're over there. They had to get over there early quarantine, obviously, uh, because of the COVID protocols and things that are in place. It's going to be a lot of fun for us this week because I don't, I don't even know what the track looks like. I've seen a a layout, like I've seen it from above, but it looks like it's incredible. The riders look like they're having a lot of fun over there and that kind of their pre race stuff getting, I think Chaz got over there early. This is going to be Chaz's last go on world Superbike, So let's not forget that we're going to see Chaz one last time. But the battle for the championship between Top Rack and Johnny Ray has been well documented. We talked about it last week. Um, I'm just looking forward to seeing these guys roll out on Friday morning and get going on this new track. New, I think. I mean, what a perfect place for it to end at—a place where nobody has seen—and another new track on the calendar, another new place to go. So, um, going into it, I know you and I talked a lot about the final race last week. Um, but there's a lot of great storylines, and I'm looking forward to see how it all ends before. There are some pretty big changes going into 2022 in World Superbike, um, so the, so there's a lot of things to be excited for in this championship as well.
0: Yeah, and we'll get Steve English on here too, real soon, yeah, to talk sure. about what's going to happen when the championship is over, what his thoughts are, and leading into 2022. Not only rules changes that Moto America is kind of lining up with in Supersport, but also all the different you know silly season stuff and people moving around yep. in World Superbike. It's going to be pretty exciting. So yeah, if you want to hear our preview. Go listen to the last week's podcast. Yeah, no kidding, <laughs> with Josh Heron, But that'll do it for this podcast. Look ahead to the weekend's race calendar. Obviously, it's World Superbike from Indonesia. The MotoGP test is Thursday, Friday. We'll definitely be talking about that next week, along with uh, an interview with Cameron Bobier. Unless there's so much to talk about with World Superbike and GP, I might push that a week when there's no mm-hmm. road racing left. Yep. And uh, we're you know we're wrapping some stuff up. There's works racing in Prim, Nevada. There's FIM X Trials in Barcelona. I think there's um those arena cross pre stuff, the arena cross series itself, like the, the actual stuff doesn't start for about six weeks. So, yeah, but they're doing some preliminary type arena car. There's two different series, I think of arena cross, but anyway, so that's going on. There's one in Albany, New York, I believe this weekend uh, for that, that particular series. So we'll distinguish those two arena cross series for you as we get going. So that'll do it for this one. Jay, tell us, uh, what are the plans for the weekend for you on the way out? What you got?
1: GW, I am uh, weather out here has just been insanely good. And so yeah. I picked up some new cowies, picking those up at Kawasaki Simi Valley on my way out. And I got Chuck Walla Saturday, Sunday, and Monday, full deals. So busy. My new schedule, my calendar should be out for JP43 training stuff soon. I mean, these next five, six weeks are going to go by so quickly, we're going to be into January. And uh yeah, it's just gonna be another great weekend. Looking forward to it. And then it's turkey day, G Dub. So are you ready to get mm-hmm. your eat on? Yeah, Boston Market. Already got it ordered up. Gonna have that
0: stuff. Go pick that up and it'll be Boston delightful. Market's
1: still around, huh?
0: Yeah, it's still around and the cornbread wow. is still ridiculously it is good. good. Yeah, I know. Your mac and cheese. But yeah, gonna do that. So that should be a lot of fun. And um, I'll do my research on our nursing homes.
1: Yeah, please do that. Thanks everybody for listening.